0: I want you to turn, if you would, to John, the fourth chapter, and we're going to read just a few verses from that chapter. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when Ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. When I read that passage, I see a number of things that Jesus had to say. In fact, uh, Jesus talks about worship and he talks about the fact that it is important that we do it correctly. I hope that you understand that as you read that passage. He wants us to do worship correctly. When I read this passage, I see the Lord talking to the Samaritan woman, which is who he was talking to as you read the context. And as he was talking to the Samaritan woman and she asked the question that our fathers worship in this mountain and you say that it's in Jerusalem that we're to worship. What's the answer to that question? Well, our Lord told her very plainly. In fact, I don't believe some people would have taken what this woman took in that day and time. Today, if you told someone what Jesus said to this woman, they would be disturbed, they would be upset, they would turn around and walk off. But what Jesus said to this woman is this, what you're doing is wrong. Now that's not hard to understand, is it? Jesus said what you're doing is wrong because He said salvation comes through the Jews, not through the Samaritans. But the Samaritans had established a worship in the mountains of Samaria, they of course were a mixture between the Jews and the Assyrians that had captured the Northern Kingdom, and, and they were, uh, they were outcast. The Jews, as we mentioned uh, yesterday, they didn't want to have anything to do with them. And so, as you look at this particular passage, here was Jesus telling the Samaritan woman that what you're doing as Samaritans is not right. Not only is it to be done, that is, our worship in truth, but it is to be done with the right attitude as we worship God. When I talk about worshiping God, I'm talking about the Godhead, the Godhood. That includes both the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, as we worship the Godhead and as we render worship unto God, We need to take into consideration what we're doing. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Lord, what will you have me to do as far as worship is concerned? What do you want me to do? If I define the word worship, the word would suggest that uh, the Greek word, which is proskiduo, this particular word would suggest... That it is acts of homage and reverence paid to God, rendered to God. That's what worship is. And sometimes people get the idea that worship is having the right emotions or having something to do with the thoughts of the mind, but, but not necessarily anything to do with what we do from the outward standpoint. But what you need to understand this evening is that it does have something to do with the outward standpoint. For instance, there is not anything in this in in the word of God that will show you that worship is only thoughts and emotions. In fact, as you read the scriptures, you'll find that the Bible teaches that worship includes things like sacrifices in the Old Testament. It included praying, it included Singing. It included teaching. It included a number of things that were outward acts by those who were rendering worship to God. I want us to look at the idea of meaningful worship. What is meaningful worship? And I I want worship to be meaningful for all of us. I'm talking about the young and the old. And the problem, there's a problem with that. And the problem is, you know, you say, well, young people and older people don't think alike. And so how are we going to get worship to be meaningful for our elderly people and then also meaningful for our young people? Well, here's how you do it. You do it the way God said do it. And if you'll do it the way God said do it and you want to do what God said do, then it doesn't matter whether you're young or whether you're old, you're going to do it the way God said do it. And you're going to enjoy it. So what about worship this evening? How can I make worship meaningful to all of us? I want you to turn with me just a moment, and I want to read a passage from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5. And I want you to follow with me. I hope you have your Bibles with you tonight. Revelation chapter 5. Turn to that passage and follow with me, beginning about verse 11. "And And I beheld... Heard the voice of many angels round about the throne of the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Now, you can imagine that in, in this vision that John had, there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that were gathered around the throne. And what were they going to do? saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are that are in the sea and all that are in them heard. I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and ever. Now watch Verse 14, and the four beasts said, Amen. And the four twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. In this particular case, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're not talking about just about Christ. We're talking about the Father. We're talking about the Godhead. They fell down and they worshipped him. Here's some things that you're going to need to understand if you understand how to have a meaningful worship. Number one, you need to understand this right up front. I'm not going to beat around the bush. The first thing that we need to understand is we need to understand that worship is a command. I don't think some people understand that. In fact, I think there are probably people that think that um, worship is optional. That's the reason why on Sunday morning when you have and should have uh, a building full of people, you have maybe a building half full of people or three-fourths full of people. That's the reason why on Sunday night that when, and I understand there are some people that cannot make it out on Sunday night, maybe due to their health or whatever, but that's the reason why on Sunday night that we do not have maybe half of the people come back that were there on Sunday morning. And then if you want to go to Wednesday night, then you'll find even a smaller group. But well, let, me, let me again inform you that worship is not something that is optional. It is something that the Word of God commands. And I'm wondering have we lost sight of the true object of our worship? Have we? You see, the true object of our worship is God. Have we lost sight of that? I hope we haven't. It's not angels. It's not And You remember the angel that John fell down before in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9? You remember what that angel said? He said, see thou do it not. He said, I am a fellow servant. He said, I'm of, the, I'm of the prophets. Or I'm like the prophets. So this angel was saying to John, don't worship me. In fact, he went on to say, worship God. How is it that some people... You know, over the last several years, and and I have no problem with the subject of angels. Angels exist. I don't know exactly what they do today. The New Testament does not inform us on that. They are said to be ministering spirits. And I'm sure God uses them in some way. I don't know exactly what it is, and you're not going to be able to tell me either. But I do know this, there is no angel alive. That deserves to be worshipped. Same thing is true with human beings. You know, Peter, when he went to Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, you remember when he arrived that the Bible tells us that Cornelius fell down at Peter's feet. He was going to worship him. And Peter said, get up. He said, I myself am a man. Understand that our worship is not to be toward angels, toward men, or toward things. It is to be toward only toward God. We have no choice in the matter. If, now listen to me, if we want to please God. You remember the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning about verse 24. He said, let us... Consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. To do what? Consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. And then he went on to say in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And did you notice what he said? Not forsaking the assembling. He didn't say the assembly. He said the assembling of ourselves together. As the manner of some is and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now watch verse 26. In verse 26, he said, for if we sin willfully, if we what? If we sin willfully, after that we receive the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And, and in the context, and I want you to understand the context, sometimes we say, well, we're, we're not talking about any sin." We're talking about a specific sin. What is the specific sin that the Apostle is writing about? He's writing about the forsaking of the assembling together. It is an obligation, ladies and gentlemen, that we worship God. It is a command. It is not an option. And if we're going to make worship meaningful, that is, if we're going to make it what it should be, then we're going to have to understand that we're commanded to worship God. Secondly, we need to see the importance of worshiping God in spirit. I think sometimes that we have lost the sense of worshiping God with the right attitude. Do you, you think perhaps maybe we've lost that sense of worshiping? I'm not saying that that's true in general. I'm just saying that there are those that have lost the sense of understanding that we have to have the right attitude in our worship to God. Let me, let me give you an example. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Uh, Excuse me, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 10. You're familiar with the account. Jesus had talked about prayer earlier in the chapter. And then he began to talk about these two men that went up to the temple to pray. I have a lesson that I have preached on that entitled, Two Men Went Up to Worship. But these two men went up to the temple to pray, and one was a Pharisee and the other a publican. Not a Republican, a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. He said, I fast twice in the week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. He smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, when I, I look at this particular passage, and again, there are any number of things that run through my mind. When this publican and this Pharisee came up to the temple to pray, Keep in mind, we're talking about the Jewish worship. We're not talking about Christianity. It was not in force at this point. And as Jesus was telling this particular parable or this particular story, as he was telling it, no doubt there there were some that were listening to it and wondering what, you know, what is it that the Lord would want us to understand? Well, here's what you need to understand. In fact, uh, and and I'm going to get personal here in just a moment. If we learn nothing else from Luke 18, if we learn nothing else, we need to learn to be careful that when we worship God that we have the right attitude. And here's the reason. God rejected one of these men. You, you see that as you read the account. He said, this one man, the publican, went up to his house justified, but the other did not. Why not? Well, the Lord did not reject him because he went to the wrong place because, you see, he was at the temple. He did not reject him because he was there at the wrong time because I'm sure it was the hour of prayer, as the Jews did on many occasions, come to the temple to pray. And he did not reject him because he came there for the right purpose. He came there to pray. He came there to worship God. But do you understand that God rejected his prayer? Why? the reason he rejected his prayer is because he had the wrong attitude. It wasn't because he's doing the wrong thing. Now, there are a lot of people today that are doing the wrong thing from the, from the religious point as far as worship is concerned, but, but we might be doing the right thing and still be wrong because, we're, because we have the wrong attitude. There are a number of priceless lessons in this particular parable that Jesus told. Valuable lessons for us today. For example, we may be able to come together in this assembly as we have this evening, and we may sing together with those that are also worshiping God and never engage in acceptable worship. Wouldn't it be a travesty? come together to worship God, to come together with others of like precious faith and our worship not be accepted? Why would that be the case? And here's where I'm a bit personal. It is my humble opinion that there are a lot of people, and, and, and again, when I say a lot of people, I'm not talking about necessarily the congregations in which we're associated with, although it's possible that some may be. But there are a lot of people that when they come to services come for nothing more than a get-together. They come for nothing more than a talkathon, And I'm not talking about what we do from the uh, standpoint of before the services started. I'm not talking about that talking. And I know Chad was standing up here waiting for everybody to be quiet. And you did get quiet, but uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about talking sometimes during worship. I remember years ago when I was, uh, first started preaching in a particular area, and as I was preaching, I looked toward the back, and there's a small congregation, in fact, we were down in Georgia, and I looked back in, in the auditorium as I was preaching, and, and, and this one fellow was, was leaning over to his daughter, and he was talking to her, and he was laughing, and she was laughing, and I'm wondering, you know, w- what's wrong? What did I do? What did I say? Is there something wrong with me? So after the services were over that morning, I asked him, I said, I said, What were you all laughing about? I said, something I say, or something something wrong with me, my physical being. <laughs> and he said, Oh no, I was just telling her a joke. It's not a chewing gum contest. It's not nap time. Even though I know sometimes there are some people that it's difficult for them to stay awake because maybe of medication or, or whatever, but it's not a nap time. It's not a time for us to be personal. do, do personal grooming, that is, to clip our fingernails. I, I don't remember who it was, but I think it was Brother Franklin Cap that, that told this years ago. We're talking about 35, 40 years ago in a lectureship in Memphis. Brother Camp said he had gone somewhere to this area to preach, and I don't remember where it was, and, and he said, as I was up there preaching, he said, I heard this loud snapping, and he said, I looked down on the front bench, and this is no reflection on our song leaders, but he said, on the front bench was the song leader with his shoes off, cutting his toenails. <laughs> I don't know what Brother Camp said to him, but I know what I probably said to him. Of course, he might not have left the invitation song when I said it. It's not a time for note writing. You can write down notes of sermon. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about note writing to your folks sitting next to you. It's not, a, it's not that kind of time. It's not a time to text, and I know that, that young people like to text and some older people like to text. I don't like to text. I don't text, so don't. Well, you can text me, but I can't text you back. My, my fingers aren't nimble enough. So it's not, it's not a time to do any of those things. Sometimes, um, and I'm not talking about little fellows that sometimes color with coloring books or draw on a piece of paper and, or mom and dad give them something to do because I appreciate mothers and fathers that, that constantly bring their little ones to church. And, and it's a, it's a task, folks. If you've never had a small one, and I'm sure most of you that are sitting in this auditorium have, if you've never had a small one to try to keep them occupied during the services. But there's no better place, let me assure you, there is no better place for them to learn how they're going to behave in the future. Except in our worship. You can take them out and say, well, we're going to take them out here and we're going to teach them. But there is no better place than to observe mom and dad and everybody else that are singing and worshiping God and praying and reading the scriptures and listening the Bible being taught. You know, there was a denominational group that started out in California called the Saddleback Church. Willow Creek, it was after Willow Creek, which is somewhere up in Illinois. And what they did in order to Find out what people wanted to do. They canvassed the area and they asked them questions. What is it you would like to see if we, if we start worship? What would you like for us to do? What would you like for us to do at the church? And so after they got through taking all of these surveys, there were people that wanted um, bowling alleys, skating rinks, a movie theater. And, and in fact, not only did they want that, but that's what the people offered them. They put in a theater. They put in a bowling alley. Oh, you can get people to come to theater and bowling alley, can't you? But can you get them to come and hear the Word of God? Can you? I, it disturbs me that there are people that think that, that there has to be fun and games. I'm going to oppose to uh, enjoying uh, a good ball game. Uh, a number of other things that I enjoy doing from a sports standpoint, but when I come to worship, when I come here to the to the services i 've not come here for fun and games now i 'm going to have a good time i 'm going to enjoy it, and the reason i 'm going to enjoy it is because I know that what i 'm doing is what God wants. How do I know that? Because I have read his word. And if you will read his word, you'll understand this is what God wants. And you're going to enjoy it. You're going to, if you want to please uh, use the name, fun, have fun, you will have fun because you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. But there is a degree, and we need to caution you there is a degree of reverence where to give to God. Not only a degree, where to give reverence to God. We need to learn the seriousness of worship. Here's something else we need to learn. If worship is going to be meaningful for all of us, we need to learn that we come to worship in the presence of the Holy God. I don't, I don't know how to... In fact, I cannot overemphasize this. I cannot overemphasize the fact that when we come together, that we have come together to... Worship a holy God. Now I assure you, and, and when you read the Scriptures, for instance, in Matthew 18, 20, where Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. When you read that passage, the Lord's not talking about God being in the back corner or sitting on the pew or hovering up here on the ceiling. That's not what He's talking about. But I assure you this evening that when we're doing something here at Fountainhead, that... People down the road at Willette, when they're in a gospel meeting there, they're going, God's going to see what's going on there. God sees what's going on here. In fact, God sees what's going on everywhere. And if we, if we don't understand that, then we're going to miss out on something. We're going to miss out on the fact that God's watching us at all times. But we're talking about worship. God is looking at us. And when God is looking at us, we need to understand that we're, our worship is in the presence of a holy God. It always is. Worship is communion with God in Christ. You remember that when Paul was writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in chapter 11 he talks about the Lord's Supper and how it was perverted by some, and, and they were using it as a common meal, and some of them were eating the Lord's Supper and leaving others uh, out of it. And so Paul talked to them about that in chapter 11. And in chapter 10, verse 16, here's what he said. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Understand this, this evening that when we come together on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, and we partake of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the fruit of the vine, we are in communion with God. When we come together as we have come this evening and we're worshiping God and we're lifting our, our voices in praise to God's name, folks, we are in communion with God. We need to remember that. Worship Here's the last thing I want us to remember. Worship is not what I get out of it; it is what I bring to it. I don't know how we can get people to understand that it's not what I get out. People say, "Well, you know, he really didn't entertain me today because I just didn't. I just didn't really." Get anything out of that. And, and I'm not a monotone preacher, and, and Chad's not a monotone preacher, and, and I'll raise my voice from time to time, and I'll try to talk loud enough where I hope you can hear me. But I, do want, I want you to understand this. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, like we are or you're monotone. If a guy's preaching the Word of God, you need to listen to it. But you need to understand that that we're not coming here so that we can necessarily get something out of it. We're coming here to bring something to it. We're coming here to worship God. Now, I'm not saying that I don't get something out of it. Don't misunderstand me. I get something out of the worship. I gain knowledge. I gain understanding. I gain the fact that I'm in fellowship with you, and I am thankful for that. But I have not come here to find out what I can get out of it. I've come here for what I can put into it. You know, we need to understand ourselves and we need to teach our children what the true rewards of true worship really are. What are the true rewards of true worship? In the Old Testament, there's a passage that the Psalmist penned in Psalm 122 and verse one. And here's what he said. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now." There are several uh, explanations for that particular verse, but I, but one of the explanations that I've heard of this is that when David's forefathers, and you remember it was to the 10th generation before one could be able to come back to the place of worship, which was the tabernacle or the temple later, David was the 10th generation. And you remember the sin that took place... Um, Back years ago with his forefathers and with Judah, you remember what he did. Well, it wasn't until the tenth generation that that family could come back into the temple or the tabernacle and worship God. And David was that tenth generation. Now, if, if you trace if you trace it back, and if it's been traced back correctly, then. David was saying that I was so glad when we could come back under the worship of God. That's what David was saying. What greater reward, and I want to ask you this, what greater reward can you gain than to know that what you do in honor and worship to God is something that is acceptable by God that God has accepted it. Worship is, is something that, in my, again, my humble opinion, that maybe we need to rethink. And I'm not saying that what we're doing is wrong. What we're doing is right from the standpoint of our worship. But it's not a contest of who can do the best singing It's not a contest of who could lead the best prayer. It's not a contest of who can do the best job teaching a Bible class or who can do the best job from the pulpit. That's not what it is, folks. What it is, is that we're coming to God in worship to Him and to His name. Let us honor our Father in heaven. Perhaps there's someone here this evening that has... Not had the opportunity or have not taken the opportunity to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you're outside of Christ, then let me plead with you. We talked about this yesterday. The only way that you can get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. There is no other way. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You're willing to turn away from sin. That's repentance. You're willing to confess the sweet name of Jesus as the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8. And then you're willing to be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, as the 3,000 are so did on the day of Pentecost. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Don't you want the forgiveness of your sins this evening? Why would you, knowing that you're outside of Christ, that you have no hope, that you do not have fellowship with God, why would you want to continue in that way this evening? There is no reason for it. Because you can be forgiven of your sins if you simply obey the Lord this very evening. Will you come?